fans, and welcome into episode 98 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, I know we uh, have the tradition of starting the game flight, and for a little bit of consistency's sake, we got to go way back in time here. Are you ready? Going back a couple of weeks to December 16th, the Canucks landed in San Jose and came out with a 5-2 win. JT Miller had three points, and Brock Besser had two goals. Geez, that feels like uh, a lifetime ago. The Canucks then eventually got to play the Anaheim Ducks. Won 2-1 in overtime, again thanks to JT Miller with a goal and an assist. Demko was also stellar. Quinn Hughes with a solid game as well and picked up a helper. Canucks lost their first game under the Bruce Boudreau era, 2-1 in a shootout to the LA Kings. Bo Horvat scored a goal late, and Yaroslav Halak held the Canucks in the game all the way up until the shootout. Geez, yeah, it really does feel like that Sharks game was a a lifetime ago, but uh, for consistency's sake, I'm glad we got it in there. But man, yeah, what was that? Apparently it was like 13 days in between games, but it felt longer. Yeah, it was the 16th was the Sharks game, and I think the Canucks' return to play was the 29th. Well, my my math certainly checks out there. Um, Doug, how's it going? It's been a couple weeks. We took last week off due to there being no games, and really the only thing we could have talked about was COVID and also just a little bit of a Christmas break, so kind of worked out. Yeah, I mean, it's been good. I mean, I, I think we're going to end up talking about COVID quite a bit on this episode, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems inevitable, doesn't it? It does. But yeah, I know it's been good. You know, the Christmas break has been good. Uh, I'm going to be heading to Toronto next week for work for a couple of months. So we'll be doing an East Coast, West Coast recording, which should be fun. And uh, yeah, what about you, Pete? How was your Christmas? I know you went to the island for Christmas. Uh, yeah, I did. I went over to Victoria, spent a few nights there. Uh, all my Christmas plans went into chaos, as I'm sure. Well, everyone I talked to, it seems like like that, but it still made the most of it. It was nice to go back to Victoria and chill for a bit. And here we are and uh, the end of 2021. Uh, do you got any big New Year's plans? No, my uh, Grace is working <laughs> tonight. So uh, I also I have to make sure I can get on a flight on Monday and not test positive beforehand. So I've pretty much just been working from home in my apartment. I've left once I've left my apartment once this week, and that was to wow. go to Urban Fair to grab some groceries. Other than that, I've just kind of been staying put. Uh, yeah, it, it's been good, though. I've, I've watched Snowmageddon happen outside, which obviously it was nice to have a white Christmas in Vancouver. And then I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before I woke up and I saw all the snow again. I was like, holy cow. It's uh, It's been great, man. I, I love it, especially when I don't have to go outside and deal with it. Look at you, Mr. Fancy Pants, going to Urban Fair for groceries. Uh, that must be nice, eh? Uh, it's the closest one, right? So it's, it's yeah, yeah. Urban Fair is pretty much save on with like a three percent jack up in prices. Uh, you're you're being you're being kind to them. Um, don't come back from Toronto being a Leafs fan or anything. Yeah, hey, otherwise we're gonna have to put this podcast on permanent pause. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, I am hoping to maybe go see a Raptors game while I'm out there. I think that would be cool. Uh, but no, definitely not going to be a Leafs fan. It's going to be tough, I think, uh, trying to get a Canucks game on TV out there. But hey, I mean, luckily the Leafs usually play early and the late games that are on, hopefully they'll have the Sportsnet Pacific to be able to get my Canucks fill. 
I'll have to hook you up with my buddy Rico out there. He's a Canucks fan, and he's got a local bar that will put the games on for him and not too far from where you're going to be. So maybe I'll put you guys in contact. It is possible to get Canucks coverage out there through the sea of Leafs madness. Um, down here in the West End, lots of snow as well. It's fun watching people try and drive in it, just hearing the the tires squealing as people gun it, trying to get up hills. It's like, yeah, that's not quite how it's done, boys and girls. But uh, it is pretty nice uh, having this. It's weird having it stick around. I mean, I don't really get to run in this, which is also kind of kind of weird because uh, I'm too klutzy. I'm going to slip and fall if I do that. Yeah, and obviously I think you said before that you're planning to run a couple of serious marathons this summer, and the last thing you need to do is to injure yourself trying to you know run on ice. So that totally makes sense. Indeed, and uh, yeah, no biking either. So just just getting in the walks, and uh, yeah, I don't want to injure myself to start the year. That's what I did actually this year. I injured myself at the start of the year, but I was still able to get in my runs, uh, although it was uh, a, a little bit more painful. Um, also, I wanted to uh, just make sure we dedicate this a- um, episode to the memory of Bob McCammon. Bob McCammon was the, the first Canucks coach that I really remember. I know he wasn't the first Canucks coach that uh, we had, or was certainly when I started watching even, but it's the first one that I really remember. He's the fifth most games coached by a, a Canuck head coach as well. Didn't have a lot of success because that was in the 87 to 91 era where the Canucks were really just kind of starting to get it going. But he was the coach uh, during that famous series against the Calgary Flames uh, when Otto booted in the goal. Yeah, again, it was my first kind of vague memories of being a Canucks fan was Bob McCannon, Bob McCammon being the coach as well. Uh, but obviously, you know, I really remember Pat Quinn coming in and becoming the coach, and obviously he was the GM at that time as well. But yeah, I mean, Bob McCammon, uh, it's a shame that he's uh, unfortunately no longer with us. Yeah, yeah so I, I agree. Is uh, Again, Canucks alumni, Canucks, uh, Canucks legend in the, the coaching world and uh just overall was uh was a pretty good guy from what i gathered uh he'll be missed so we wanted to dedicate this episode 98 to bob mccammon uh coming up as you alluded to unfortunately there will be some covid talk in here but uh, we're gonna start things off with uh, some juniors and olympics talk we're gonna start with a little bit of international and then uh, we're gonna talk more canuck stuff from the past two games in California. Uh, you can follow us as well on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canucks speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug then and check out the playlist. Pete and I continue to build on Spotify. It's the Canucks speakeasy outro playlist. Another funky jam will be added to that playlist today. And one other thing, just before we get into all the Canucks talk, episode 98, we have uh, passed the point, Doug, of Canucks numbers. I know sometimes in an episode we'll drop uh, uh, who's worn that episode number, but after 96, we actually, we, we passed it. There's never been a 97 or 98, and of course, even though it was close, there's never been a 99 uh, for the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't even really know any players that have worn 98. Like, I can't really think of a player that sticks out in my head that's worn 98. Yeah, I guess the, that's it. We're at, we're at the end of the the number era, which I guess embarks a new milestone for the podcast and for you and I, Pete. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. As, as episode 100 looms, we'll have to figure out what we're doing with that. Um, let's start, though, with the juniors today, Doug. Um, you know, 
sad news that the tournament was canceled. Uh, I got to watch the two games Canada played. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. I, obviously, I love this tournament. But canceling it now over there are five positive cases we were seeing games getting forfeited and you know we had the one uh, u.s game and then we had the two games the next morning and the AIHF said all right that's it we're we're putting an end to this um what do you make of all this what are your thoughts on the tournament getting canceled or postponed we don't know well i i, I think it's canceled um because unfortunately a lot of these players that are playing college or junior hockey their teams probably aren't going to give them permission to go play in a tournament later in the year i would assume especially if they're well, vying for playoff spots there's talk that uh, they're doing it in the summer after everything after the memorial cup oh okay i mean that would be interesting um I mean, I guess, look, it's it's something that can happen. Well, I guess, would it be after the draft, do you know, or before the draft? It would probably have to be after with the way everything lines up. But, I mean, the the major reason for them wanting to do this is economical, right? They, if they don't yeah, finish the tournament, they got to give money back to a lot of the sponsors and ticket holders and everything. And after the year that everyone's had, the last thing they want to be doing is making payouts. No, and unfortunately, that's one thing that I think we're seeing across the globe right now is people putting their financial interests first over, you know, public health and safety. Uh, I will say this, though, you know, I, I we did see two records broke at the World Juniors that we've never seen before. Uh, one, a defenseman scored a hat-trick for Team Canada. That's never happened in World Junior history before. Two, Connor Bedard scored four goals. The first player, I believe, since Wayne Gretzky to score four goals in the tournament as a 16-year-old. Um, so there is some positives to come out of that tournament, I think. I do wonder how it will affect people's draft boards because I do think a lot of teams put a lot of stock, rightfully or wrongfully, in the tournament. Uh, and that often predicates you know where they draft players so that's going to be interesting too and then the other thing pete because i don't obviously look it's disappointing in a lot of these young players and a lot of the volunteers that help make these tournaments happen across the globe you know have put their time and their effort in and it's all seemingly for nothing but the other thing i kind of want to discuss with you pete and i'm a little i'm steering this a little bit more in a general talk as opposed to the covid stuff is I'm seeing, and I'm sure you saw this on Twitter, but like a lot more negative reaction towards the tournament, the, the tournament, and just like people saying, "Oh, the only reason the tournament's anything is because of TSN," and you know, this isn't a big deal across the globe, and most players in most countries don't care about it as much as Canada does, and you know, before the the tournament was officially canceled, we saw a lot of that rhetoric happening across. Twitter and just people commenting on that. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know that it, it's a big deal to you. It's it's a big deal to me. Obviously, being Canadian and Canada generally winning, you know, every other year seemingly, uh, it, it makes our interest a lot greater. But I think even just learning and seeing some of these young potential prospects and drafted eligible players, you know, I mean, I don't care if Finland's playing. Like that year, Finland won their first World Juniors. It was amazing. You know what I mean? Obviously, I cheer for Canada, but just seeing their reaction and how happy those kids were, I think it was Ristolainen scoring the goal in overtime. It was it was great to see. And I'm just, it's just weird that this narrative and this negativity towards the terminant, the terminant, I can't say that's too why can't you say that word (laughs) i don't know just this morning the tournament um really seems to be kind of percolating out there what are your thoughts 
I think a lot of it comes from the cancellation of the women's tournament, which we haven't mentioned yet. I think that it, it kind of sheds an ugly light in a lot of ways on the gender-spanning economics of the sports. And I think that a lot of people put the blame on TSN for that. I don't think it was TSN's fault. TSN has invested a lot of money and broadcasting and into the women's game. I mean, they could certainly do more. Everyone could do more. I don't blame TSN for this, um, but it does show the economics of it. And so I think this was kind of happening in the shadow of that. And I think that was probably a big part of it. I have also said for years, though, that TSN has probably overhyped this tournament to a certain extent, as especially as they've lost other hockey. Um, I do think they make this out to be, at times, a bigger spectacle than it needs to be and puts uh, a lot more maybe undue pressure especially on Team Canada. Like every year, Team Canada is expected to win. And when they don't, like these players are absolutely dejected. Like I think this tournament is more of a showcase. And you know, you mentioned as well draft rankings and draft positioning being affected by it. It's like, yeah, they, they could be affected by a good showing at the World Juniors one way or another. But it, it's, a, it's supposed to be more of a showcase, is getting the best and the best for the, the junior players together and, and having them go at it and you see a team like Slovakia who has a couple of draft eligible prospects I think I saw in the last rankings three of the top 10 players are actually Slovak which is something I hadn't seen for geez maybe ever um, which is why they were so upset about it. it is like, hey Slovakia is kind of getting back on the map this year and their goalie very publicly spoke out about uh, the tournament but I do think in Canada we put an undue amount of stock and pressure on this tournament. And I do think a lot of that is driven by TSN because they hold those broadcasting rights. And I'm not saying that if Sportsnet got it, that they would be any better with it. But TSN does do a great job of covering it. But I think a lot of this happens in the shadow of the women's tournament getting canceled. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, th- I think the women's tournament getting canceled definitely plays a factor. I believe it was last year or maybe it was the year before. Even the March Madness tournament in basketball for college basketball uh just the disparity between you know the resources the women had at the tournament as far as like gym and workout uh equipment they were able to use compared to the men it was like night and day it was ridiculous and you know the women were being put in small rooms with like two beds and stuff like that and I do think there's more interest in women's hockey and women's sports overall than most people what to give credit to and I think once we see proper funding and marketing and you know television rights being put into women's sports I do think you will see it blow up I really really do I mean I've always been a fan of women's tennis and to me I think you know women's tennis is the biggest female sport in the world in regards to most people can name at least you know 10 female tennis players can someone name 10 active female hockey players right now maybe they can I I, I, I'm not gonna sit here and lie I can't but that doesn't mean that if a game was televised on TSN or Sportsnet or ESPN or some network that was willing to broadcast those games I wouldn't watch I wouldn't get more invested and I wouldn't learn more about those athletes but unfortunately the society we live in they're just the money and the funding and the broadcasting rights aren't there because they don't Going back to the money thing, I don't think the bigwigs think that there's enough money to be made off of it at this point, which is a shame. 
I do like how women's tennis is best of three instead of best of five. I think uh, that's a much more watchable game uh, overall uh, as well, which I think is, has also helped uh, the popularity there. I don't know if I can name 10 current uh, women's tennis players. That, uh, I could name a few. I certainly watch. I love watching uh, all the Grand Slams. Uh, I do enjoy tennis a lot. Um, but I do think that with the, the, the guys' tournament getting canceled in the shadow of all this, it did show a bit of a economic disparity. And uh, I think that was where a lot of the backlash was coming from and uh, I know that it was getting directed at TSN and again I don't think the women's tournament that was their fault but I do think that the overhyping of the 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 guys tournament the men's tournament has been um, has been really in the TSN era that we've seen it going to to other levels yeah I mean I also think a lot of it has to do with the timing it's boxing days when the tournament starts. People are just coming off the holiday season. Most, I would say the majority of people don't have to work boxing day. It's generally one of the only games on. And TSN also losing the NHL broadcasting rights and now only getting games that Sportsnet wants to give them. Uh, I think that's affected TSN's broad, or you know, the way they market the tournament because it's one of their biggest, if not their biggest hockey feature they have they don't get any playoff games anymore right unless Sportsnet wanted to give them one but they don't and so I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen this over hype and this over you know pressure of the tournament on the Canadian players but I also think there's a lot of Canadian players and this was brought up I I think it was maybe Ray Ferraro brought this up he's like this is arguably the biggest term tournament for a lot of these kids this is it like this is pretty much where their career ends is this tournament and this isn't just Canadian players this is Czech players this is Slovak players this is Russian players this is you know their one chance to represent their country on a national stage and now it's gone, right? And so it does mean a lot to some of these players. And again, I go back to when Finland finally won the World Juniors and just the elation that those players had and how ecstatic they were to win. Finally, you know, they finally won the tournament. It was huge. It was amazing. I, I think they might have done it against Sweden too, which obviously is a huge rival to them. I, I could be wrong though. It might not have been against Sweden. I think it might have actually been against the US. But regardless... uh I think for a lot of these players, it's huge. And, you know, this kind of ties into the Olympics, you know, and a lot of players, you know, this could be their last chance to ever, ever represent Canada on that stage. And now that the players aren't going to Shanghai for the Olympics, I don't even know if the Olympics are going to be completely canceled this year. I still haven't heard any word on that. Um, you know, this is their last chance. I think, you know, we've seen a couple of players pipe up and, you know, make comments uh, about it and why they think there's issues and why, you know, or how the NHL could, you know, allow them to go still. And at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it comes down to the health and safety of the players and, you know, the teams and the clubs, they're paying the money to the salaries of these players. And they have a vested interest in these players not getting sick or not being stuck in quarantine for five weeks in a foreign country. Yeah, just going back to uh, the TSN rights, I don't think Sportsnet ever gives them games, but I think TSN still holds the regional rights to the Habs and the Jets. So I think that's what they got. But of course, they're all blacked out here. So we don't we don't get to watch um, any of those. Um but they also still don't lost... get any playoff games, though, right? No, so I don't. Even though they, they have the regional rights, okay. No, they don't. Uh, everything there goes to to Sportsnet. Um, also lost in everything is the world's oldest 
Club Tournament. Uh, the Spengler Cup didn't get to happen this year. That's another one that starts on Boxing Day uh, that I've always yeah. enjoyed as well. And that is, you know, you mentioned a chance for Canadians to represent uh, their country. A lot of Canadians do get that crack to do that in the Spengler Cup because that's just made up of Canadians playing in the Swiss League. Um, it's a tournament I always like. It's a tournament I had and was hoping to have gone to I'd circled it for 2020 I was going to do uh, the Spengler Cup and the World Juniors in Europe and visit family for Christmas uh, spoiler that didn't get to happen for various uh, global reasons but that was also lost so that was uh, another kind of Christmas tradition starts obviously with the time difference very early in the morning but uh, that was something else I like and then the Olympics I, I know that players are speaking out and you know you hear Canuck fan favorite Brad Marchand and his comments and how the players <laughs> should get to to choose but I don't think it's it's tough to make it a selective thing. It's got to kind of be an all or nothing. And I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, despite all the uh, no social issues with with China and and uh, fans and players vo- voicing their concern with that, I think the thought of having players having to quarantine in China for you know up to three to five weeks and getting left behind that I don't think that sat well with the NHL. Can you imagine if the NHL resumes and there's Connor McDavid sitting in a hotel room in Beijing? Like I mean that just doesn't really look good. No, uh I agree. And sorry, yeah, the Olympics are held in Beijing, not Shanghai. I believe I said Shanghai earlier, but it's Beijing. Um so my bad. Correction there. Um, but I get it. Like, I get why Marshawn made the comments he did because he's never represented Canada at the Olympics. This is his pretty much probably going to be his last chance. I think he's 33 or 34 years old now. So, you know, is he going to still be on Team Canada's radar in four years from now? Probably not. Are they going to do a best-on-best tournament? I think so. I think the NHL is going to try to do something and organize something along with the PA and maybe some of the other international leagues like the Swiss League, like the KHL, like the Swedish League, and maybe try to organize some sort of best-on-best tournament because I think the players are really hungry for it. I mean, obviously they are. They negotiated it in their most recent CBA talks. Um, but I get it. Like, I, I get the frustration for a player like Marchand, but I also get why the NHL said no. Like, we can't allow this. Like, I know you guys were given the choice to go or not, and you guys wanted to go, but, I mean, look at what's going on right now. Like, just unfortunately, yeah, like, it, we, we just can't do it. We've already, everyone's already lost their ass last year with, you know, revenues and money, and the players, obviously, with escrow, have to pay back the owners a ton of money as well. And I don't think the NHL can risk having, you know, that happen again. I mean, we're already seeing they've made changes to to the taxi, adding the taxi squads back in and certain things like that. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to revenue. I don't think any rational non-hockey fan could look at the decision of sending players to the Olympics and say, wow, that's a, that's a smart idea right now to, to do all that. It just, it doesn't make sense. Um, Brad Marchant, 33 years old. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if there is another Olympics, he'd be 37. Would he be on that team? Who knows? Uh, for me, this is really about the last chance to see Crosby and McDavid, uh, get to do a tournament together. You know, that had 87 Canada cup vibes with Gretzky and Lemieux. Um, the two generational players. I mean, that's that's going to span really when all is said and done their NHL playing careers from like 2005 to 2030. That's uh, that's going to be the Crosby overlapping into the McDavid era, and 
this was really the window uh, right in between that when where you would get to see those guys play together. Uh, best on best tournaments, you know, if, if you're not going to do the Olympics, and again, another reason the, the Olympics, uh, the, a problem that was going to happen is there's a $5 million uh, reserve fund. And I may have mentioned this before, but if players get stuck in quarantine, that they'd still get paid. But when that money runs out, there was no answer as to what's going to happen. NHL players aren't going to play guys to their best players to sit over in, in China. So there is there was the monetary threat. And you mentioned, you know, escrow and the amount the players have to pay back in and how they're already rescheduling games. You know, you've seen figures that every Canucks home game is worth $1.8 million in revenue. And right now, with the way that everything is set up, that affects both the PA and the owners. So nobody wants to see that, which is why you're seeing Canadian-based games getting postponed so that they can keep that revenue. Everything right now is, after the last year, two years, very much revenue-driven and trying to find that balance. And everyone's trying to find that balance right now, whether it's between the economical and, and health measures, and everyone has different views and ideas. But sending guys to China from economic and health measures just didn't make sense. So what do you do with the long-term solution for having best-on-best? Best? You need to have best-on-best. Best. Hockey fans crave it. But what I, what I haven't liked is that for the last... Well, geez, it feels like two decades. We've just kind of jumped around. You know, there's been Olympics. There's not been Olympics. There's been World Cups. There's been different all-star formats and tournaments and stuff. It's like, you know what? Let's let's just pick something and roll with it. Like maybe every couple of years, there is a best-on-best tournament. Uh, and we just do that like every second year, best on best. Um, I say second year because if you're doing this, the appetite for hockey fans would be more like that. And I think it would work. Uh, every four years is is a long gap in, in the hockey world. I think you could do something every two years and still make it successful. But I think the time is now for, you know, the league has 32 teams. They've kind of got that balance there. Well, I mean, you never know with teams like Arizona and Florida, what's going on, but you're not going to see new expansion teams. I think well, possibly ever now. 32 is the sweet spot. So let's focus on what you're doing with the international game and how you want to do it and how you want to build it. And I know obviously saying that during a pandemic makes it tough, but is the Olympics the answer? Like, It doesn't have to be. I mean, I think for in Canada's eyes, if we're playing best on best in whatever the format is, I think most Canadians would be like, you know, it doesn't have to be the Olympics. But let's just get something and start building that legacy because if you're not doing the Olympics, I mean... It's tough to compete now with the, the Crosby Golden Goal in 2010, and that's really kind of cemented things. And then the follow-up in 2014 where Canada dominated. But now there's, you know, you're not having Olympic hockey for eight years. We need to get something that is just let's go with it. And it might be time for the PA and the NHL, again, in an economic standpoint, to build their own tournament and say, this is what we're doing now. Again, I think the prestige that the Olympics have does outweigh making some kind of random tournament up. But I do think best on best, anything that the NHL decides to do will be a positive. Um, At the end of the day, the NHL and the PA are the ones that are, and, you know, obviously some of the other international leagues are the ones that need to kind of come to a compromise on what they want to do here. The double IHF is hard to deal with or hard to work with. The Olympic... um, I guess committee is also hard to deal with. And I know that's one of the issues that the NHL's had the past, what, decade or so with the Olympics is that, you know, they don't do anything to share revenue or to help the NHL or to to incentivize the NHL to want to send their players to go there. What they have is they have their players turning on their own league because they want to go and represent their countries and have the prestige and honor to potentially win a gold medal. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that 
you know, there will be a board of governors meeting at some point this year. And, you know, I'm sure the PA is going to figure something out on their end. And I think they are going to try to come up with a tur- tournament. And you're right. Like we did that world hockey turn world uh, cup of hockey tournament. What was it like three, four years ago now, maybe even longer. And I know there was a lot of issues with it. It was kind of weird. You know, there was like the team that was like under 25 or something like that. The, um, there was the European team. Um, and then they just dropped it, right? If they would have kept it going and then had it every two years or every three years or whatever you, you want to do with it, you start to build up that prestige and, you know, you, then it becomes a regular thing and then it's building history and, you know, you're you're getting highlights and, you know, memories built for the fan base. And then that tournament starts to, you know, become important to not only the players, but the fans. And I do think even though there was a lot of criticism when that tournament happened the first time, I do think it was a bit of an, a bit of a fumble from the league to just abandon it after that one and done. Yeah. And that's what I mean, right. Is like, you know, it's, I, I guess because, you know, I don't think anything's ever going to top the Crosby golden goal here in Vancouver for me. So I'm like, okay, Olympics, but there's generations of fans who ha- or don't remember that or won't ever get to experience that, but you got to have something that you continuously use and grow to game. And you talk about financials again, which is, you know, unfortunately we have to talk about that a lot right now. If the NHL and the PA is building their own one and they're getting all the money and then they're able to use all the media and all the marketing and all the sponsorship, economically, it makes a lot more sense. It is the players who want to play in the Olympics. I don't think the NHL has any appetite, obviously, as we've seen in previous CBAs to participate in the Olympics. So I think maybe the time is now for them to come together and do something on the regular again every two years instead of every four. More money, more money going into escrow, getting everything back together, more money in the players' pockets, more money in the owners and the league's pockets. Uh, I think there is something. But again, let's just pick it. If you're going to do the Team North America and the Team World, all right, just let's put it out there. And I'm not against those. It's kind of a little bit different and fun. And there's enough talent in North America to make up an under-21 team or whatever it was. And I'd like to see representation from countries like Latvia, Denmark, Austria, Germany, you know, teams that won't be able to ice a team that's competitive. But put them all together and let's see what they can do. There could be a, a fun story. I, I like that team, uh, Team Europe. So, But whatever it is, we just need some consistency. Um, I don't know unless the Olympics are on North American soil if we'll see that. But again, like just for one year, bringing it back, I'm not all about that. I think just let's let's see. They need to decide on what the direction is for international hockey is all I'm saying. Yeah. I also think one of the other things that the NHL and a lot of North American sport leagues are trying to do at the moment is grow the game in countries that hockey isn't a big deal, right? I think one of the reasons why the NHL was willing to, you know, compromise with the PA and let the players decide whether or not they would go to the Olympics this year is because it was being held in China and because that is a massive market an untapped market for hockey and we've seen the NHL make ventures into Asia before I believe it was uh well there was the one year I know good Branson was on the Canucks they went and played a game a couple of games in China and then I, I remember this fondly because it was the Canucks and the Ducks and I want to say it was 98 it was Matthias Olin's rookie year and I believe they went to Japan and played two uh, exhibition games in Japan or two preseason games in Japan. And you know the NHL wants to grow the league in or the, the, the sport, I should say, in other countries. So I think what would be cool, and obviously for the owners, it doesn't make sense because they probably want some revenue if they were going to do a best-on-best tournament. But it would be cool to like have the a tournament held in you know neutral ground, like maybe have the tournament in the UK. That would be cool. 
you know, maybe have the tournament in China. That would be cool. But obviously, with the way the world is right now and this pandemic still being an issue, I don't see that happening. But it would be kind of cool to do that one year. You know, let's say, hey, this isn't an Olympic tournament. This is our World Cup of Hockey. And we're doing it in a neutral territory. We're going to go out to the UK and play games in Scotland and England and Ireland and maybe Wales. I don't know. I remember at our our work, Pete, there used to be a, a Cardiff uh, hockey jersey on on the wall on the bar at our work. Uh, I forget what the team name was called, but that would be kind of cool. Um, you know, maybe go play again. Maybe the climate might not allow you to, but it's cool to play a game in South America. You know what I mean? Uh, I I think there's some opportunities there to really kind of think outside the box, but then the owners are going to want to be incentivized, right? They're going to be like, well, hey, I have this building that's completely empty. It'd be nice to be able to host a couple of games and get some revenue for that. Yeah, and as cool as it would be to have a, you know, Team Canada versus Team USA playing in Cardiff, it would make a lot more money in New York City or Toronto. So for sure, um, for sure. You know, I think there is a balance of doing that. Um, Personally, my thought for growing the game is getting on more, international streaming platforms uh, as best you can like doing you know DAZN type things around the world that's going to be more and more prevalent and I think that's uh, that's the real way that you can start growing the game especially in this post-pandemic world where uh, people are yeah I think some people may be reluctant and some people uh, won't be just to go back to international events but you're never going to make as much money moving all the players and hotel rooms and everything else uh, over in London as you would in uh, Los Angeles uh, for it. So I think there's a balance uh, between the two, but I think we'll have to wait and see what the future of international hockey is. But, uh, you know, Marchand and other players speaking out about it. And I know McDavid has expressed disappointment too, and as he should be. I mean, again, I want to see McDavid Crosby, but let's just see what the future brings. Um, Let's uh, let's shift from that, Doug. Let's shift over to the Canucks now, because we could go on about this all day, and we haven't really touched on the Canucks, and uh, it's been an eventful couple of weeks, even without games. There's been a lot happening off the ice, um, but we saw back-to-back games in California. Uh, a team that looked a little bit rusty comes away with three out of a possible four points. The first loss under the Boudreaux era last night uh, against the Kings. But the Canucks still haven't lost in regulation under the Boudreaux era, so that's something. Well, technically, the Canucks' last three games have all been played in California, Pete. Yeah, true. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think, you know, coming off that long break, having a couple of players, you know, go into protocol, the Canucks definitely looked tired last night. Um, I think they were lucky to, to come away with a point. Not that I thought they played terrible. I mean, Halak played great. I thought Horvat has played well in these last two games. He's probably been... The most consistent Canuck. Garland's played well, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to hit the net these last two games. He's had some great opportunities, but just can't hit the net. But, you know, I think they were tired last night. Uh, They still haven't lost in regulation. Like you said, they've still had a point in every game that Boudreaux's coached this team. I think there was actually, I think Boudreaux was about to tie the record if the Canucks did come away with a win with Jacques Lemaire for most wins. Break the record. He already tied Lemaire. Break. Okay, so he did tie Lemaire. Okay, so he was going to break the record that Jacques Lemaire had set uh, for the most wins as a new coach to a franchise. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the goaltending still is, you know, the best part of this team. I mean, the goaltending has been consistent game in, game out, and... I don't know if Jim Benning had much to do with it, really. I think, honestly, player like Demko coming out and talking about it. But Ian Clark, man, 
Like having that guy locked up for five years and seeing him get to work with Demko for the next five years and even just Halak. And Halak's always been a great goalie. He's always been one of those guys. I mean, it was years ago. I forget what year it was. I think it might have been 2009, 2010. He usurped Carey Price uh, for the Habs when they went on a bit of a playoff run. Halak's always been a guy. He's a, he, he's a battler. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like this generation's Artis Urbe a little bit. You know what I mean? He's a guy that can get hot. He can you know go on these streaks. Um, I feel bad for him because he's got no goal support in the games he started for the Canucks. And last night was another great example of that. But overall, I mean, I, I think the Canucks have looked okay. Um, it's nice that Boudreaux's gotten a little bit more time to know the players and have like a mini training camp, which is probably really good for the camaraderie and the long-term benefit of this team. But uh, yeah. Halak is a better mask than Urbe, I'll, I'll say that. Um, good news, <laughs> looking at the last two games, the Canucks goals against over the last two games has been below one. The bad news is the Canucks goals for over the last two games has been just above one. So uh, there hasn't been a lot, as we know, two two one games uh, going into extra time. Um, it's there again. You come away with three out of four points on a, any little road trip there. You take it. Um, think the team missed Besser in there as well, and uh, you know you go to Jim yeah. Rutherford's comments today as well about needing more from the bottom six, and you take away one of your top wingers and top players in the top six and i think that becomes even more noticeable as well um uh you know i've seen a lot of stats i mean looking at uh, under the eight games that boudreaux's been in there i mean you still only have a couple of points out of hoglander a couple of points out of pod colson um we, we're all aware of pd's struggles still he's been better but he hasn't been the same and uh, i think I think that's still showing, uh, you know, I hate that I'm saying top six, bottom six still, because going into this year, I thought would be more of a top nine and they're, they're structured a, a little bit more like a top nine right now, but it's still not, not quite happening. Yeah. And you know, I also feel bad for Philip D Giuseppe because he got the call up. He's a guy that I think mm-hmm. most Canuck fans thought could bring some energy to the bottom half of the lineup. And then now he's gone into protocol, right? So he's still going to get an opportunity to crack the lineup and hopefully, you know, add some energy and, you know, a little bit of grit to the bottom half of the lineup. But, you know, you're right. There there needs to be a little bit more consistency. Like Hoglander, he has these flashes and, you know, he can be creative. But overall, you know, I, uh, Hoglander's been okay. Like, again, I, I know if you look in his analytical numbers, they're still great. But he he needs to be a little he needs to have a little bit more finish. I know there was a lot of people in the post game last night that were criticizing Boudreaux's decision to put Tanner Pearson in the shootout, and I mean yeah, like Hoglander is a pure skill guy. He's a guy that you know you would think should be able to dangle, especially in the shootout. I don't know why he hasn't been given more opportunity in the shootouts um, overall. I mean to me, sure Pearson might have had a good game. But Hoglander is a guy, I mean, that's his bread and butter is that pure skill and being able, you know, to deke a goalie out of their jock strap. Uh, I, I, I do think, and I think Rutherford's comments today were telling that, you know, you do need more scoring and you need more consistency from the bottom half of your lineup. The other guy who continues to struggle is Jason Dickinson as well. Like, you know, I, he's had moments. He's looked a little bit better the last few games. I mean, when I say last few games, we've had, what, two games in the last two weeks. But... He's another guy that it just isn't really helping this club. And then obviously PD's the big one. I think I think it was the game against the Ducks. PD was like one for thirteen uh halfway through the game in the face off circle. I don't know why he's 
been so poor in the faceoff dot this year. And he'll have one game and you're like, oh, Petey looks great. He's hard on the four track. He's dangling. He's skating. And then the next game, he's just, he's a ghost. I don't know what's going on there. Hopefully, you know, he gets his confidence back. And I don't know if the injury is still bugging him a little bit. I mean, he missed, you know, the majority of last year. But even before the injury, he was struggling a little bit. But, you know, I am confident. I think most Canuck fans are confident he can play through this. But it is, you know, it's still concerning. I'd like to see a game coming up here where they put the lotto line back together once Besser is back and move Dickinson back into the 3C spot. I think... um, as I love, I love the line of Pedersen, Pod Colson, and Garland. I love it, but as much as I love it, they aren't really producing uh, at a rate that we need. And uh, it would be interesting to see a lotto line back for a couple of games and see what that does. I mean, JT Miller right now has is our best player. He's being amazing. I mean, well, taking away Thatcher Demko. I mean, Miller is being our yeah. best skater, and. Uh, it would be interesting to see if that, you know, even if PED just gets a couple of second assists out of it or something, you know, what, what that can do for his confidence. So it might be time to put that together, move Dickinson back to into a three C role. It's, it's really tough to gauge a lot. I think over the last two games, because yeah, you're on the road, you've had 13 days off and then you play back to back. It's like, okay, well, you know, you, you take it for what it is, which is why I'm happy with uh, the three out of four points. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we, we need more from Petey. We know that. And uh, we, we just, we haven't seen that Petey that we expect. Like, I think uh, I did a tweet the other day just showing uh, for the calendar year of 2021. I'm uh, just going to try and find it here. But I believe I had Petey as the sixth scorer on the team. Yeah, he was sixth. Hoaglander actually, during the calendar year of 2021, Hoaglander actually put up two more points. And yes, I know that Petey missed a whole bunch more games. But um, it, it's something that, you know, when you see Hog or you see Petey nestle between Hoaglander and Pearson on your top 10 scorers for the calendar year, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit surprising. Miller ran away with it, by the way, for those wondering. Miller, going into the game last night, hit 80, and Hughes was second with 68. Um so what what do we do with PD? There's there's this general outrage out there uh, on Twitter. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's time to shop or trade PD. It's like, really? Like, come on. I know that Benning is gone and we need someone to, to whip on right now, but you don't trade PD right now. PD's just signed a three-year deal. You've got some time with this to figure it out. If PD in a couple of years still isn't performing, then maybe you could look at doing something then, but you don't trade him right now, in my opinion. It's just, that's just foolish. Yeah, like, I'm sure he still has, you know, significant value on the trade market, but his value is low, at an all-time low right now. And so that's not the right time to move him. I I think it was a friend of the show, Sean Warren, uh, mentioned, you know, what if Colorado traded McKinnon when he had those two kind of bad years, right? I mean, the reason McKinnon's on that sweetheart deal right now is because he had two really bad years uh, coming out of, of his rookie year. And, you know, where would Colorado be if they didn't have a player like McKinnon right now? Well, they would, you know, I'm sure they would still be a competitive team, but they wouldn't be a perennial cup contender like they have been the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, they still need to get their goal tending situation sorted out. I don't think it's the right move to trade Petey either. I, I think, you know, fans in general of all sports are impatient and I think you know we're not seeing PD produce or perform like he used to and you know even his body language on the ice I think this is what might be bothering some fans is that his body language he just seems very uninterested and he also seems like he's 
kind of floating out there a bit. And I think that's what's bothering the fans. But, you know, I I think it's a confidence thing. Like, you know, athletes are, especially, you know, professional athletes, they're a different breed. And confidence can go a long way. And it can really, really affect a player's performance on the field, on the ice, on the pitch. And I think Petey's been good on the PK. So he is still bringing, he's been bringing something. It's been nice to see that. So, I mean, there is that element to um Petey's not the guy you trade. I mean, I know what's going to come up over the next while, and we're already starting to see it, is the uh, JT Miller and Bo Horvat debates. What do yeah. you do? They're both they're both on good deals, but after next season, they're both UFA. And the thought process there is like, are you able to keep them? You also got Brock Besser, who's RFA this year. And that might be, especially with a new GM, a wheeler and dealer like Jim Rutherford in there, uh, you know, Besser might be the, the guy. But, I mean, can you keep those four players together and do you want to if uh, you're investing let's say you know by the 24 25 season if you're investing an average of you know 32 to 34 million between those four guys uh, at that stages in their career the other argument with JT Miller is that he's 28 he's a little bit older than the rest of the team but Miller's our best player I don't know how you trade him right now in my opinion I mean I think you could get an absolute haul for him if you did trade him but I mean the guy's like seventh in the league in scoring I also don't think Besser's a guy that you trade right now because he is a pure goal scorer. And I think that is one of the issues this club has is they don't have enough goal scorers. You know, I think one of the issues that I like, and you said it too, I like the Pod Colson, Petey, and Garland line, but they don't really have a finisher on that line, right? Especially if Petey's playing the center, he's not really being put in a position to snipe a goal. And so that's why I think, you know, a Miller or a Besser being paired up with Petey. Maybe you don't put the full lotto line back together, but maybe you put Petey or pardon me, Besser on Petey's wing or, you know, and you move Garland to Miller's line or whatever. You put Miller there. I think that's what that line is missing is a pure finisher. And I think Besser is one of the few guys on this team that is a pure finisher. And obviously you see that Boudreaux bump he's had since, you know, Boudreaux was hired behind the bench. But I think the Miller-Horvat debate is going to be, it. that's the big one, right? That is the one that you have to figure out because Horvat's also played really well, I, I feel, these last couple of games. And he's looked a lot more engaged. Uh, you know, the third period against the Ducks, I mean, Horvat could have had easily two or three goals there. He had some amazing chances. And, you know, this is going to be a tough decision for this team. Do Can you keep those players together? Like you said, do you want to keep those players together? Because the other issue this team still has is we need a a solid, I'm going to say a top four or maybe a top two right shot defenseman, which we are still lacking. Uh, I also thought one of the interesting things that Rutherford said today was that he is going to want to add draft picks, draft picks or future prospects for any trades he would make this year. He's not looking to trade for big name players, which I think is a good thing because I don't think this team is necessarily ready to make a huge splash at the deadline. I, I agree with that too. A um, couple things uh, just in there. Bo Horvat also leads the league in faceoffs by quite a bit. Um, yes. Also, Horvat and Miller lead the team in goals. They're both tied with 11. The thing with Garland, he's actually uh, tied with Besser for goals. And I know Besser has played five less games, but they both have nine goals. So I could argue that Garland could be more of a finisher, but I know what you mean in terms of like Besser. Besser, uh, like Bo Horvat right now, they sport what I always like to call the Cy Young stats, right? Like uh, having more goals and assists, uh, which generally implies uh, Pod Colson is always 
Wales also goes into that boat, and so does Hoglander, um, that they are a bit more of that mindset. So, I mean, you know, Hog, Pod Golson does have six goals as well. Um, but it, it's true. Maybe the – and again, maybe my – which is my argument is I'd like to see the lotto line get put back together for a little bit here uh, and, and see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I think – sorry, I just want to no, jump go in there, for it. I think the issue with Pod Colson and Garland it, is they're not – shooters right they're they're playmakers and they can deke and they can dangle and yeah you know garland does have the same amount of goals as besser right now but they're not shooters and i think that's what pd probably is missing from his line right now is just a pure shooter like a miller is like a Besser is yeah and and uh, that's again why you know i'm, I'm sounding broken record here but why i'd like to see um a little bit more of that um and then your comments on uh rutherford um i i think he acknowledges i think Especially right now, if he was to make trades, I think he's acknowledging that the team isn't there yet. And we all know the the holes at right D. Uh, I don't think the team will ever be a contender until they sort out that right D. I, I don't think anyone can. And I mean, I also got to give props to Tyler Myers cause, again, because and I think I've seen a lot more praise this last little while for Tyler Myers than I've ever seen. And, and you know how I feel about Tyler Myers, the player and Tyler Myers, the contract. Um the better he plays, the less that divide is. Um, again, I don't think the, that it's a great deal, all that, that contract, but I think Tyler Myers has been good. But you need more of a, a, a solid right D. You need that guy who can really uh, anchor the, the right side to truly be competitive. If uh, What I kind of read out of Rutherford's comments with that as well is he knows that he's got a couple of guys who he could trade away, depending on where... Like the Canucks is, for all the, the grounds they've gained, uh, they're still... Right, right in the the thick of all this in terms of the playoffs. Like when Boudreaux took over, the Canucks were seventh in the division. Guess what? The Canucks are still seventh in their division after all of that, which tells you just uh, how hard it is. Yes, they've crawled back up, and depending on if you listen to Harmon Dial or Thomas Drance, the Canucks are a 500 team right now at 15-15-3. They're five points behind Calgary, who's third, and they're two points behind LA, who's sixth. So it's, it's very tight in there. But if that pack all stays the same, the Canucks keep winning and they're not really gaining on the, any ground. Like right now you have to leapfrog three teams just to get into that number four spot with, with how well they're playing. You do have guys that you can trade. I mean, the, again, the, the most noticeable right, right now that I can think of would be Tyler Mott, who's a UFA. Um, if you could trade Alex Chase on right now for anything, I'd be all over it. I mean, Brad Hunt's a UFA and Yaroslav Halak. Uh, I, I don't know what the rest of those guys could get you. And you might get something for Halak. Um, uh, I, I don't know, but uh, Tyler Mott would be the type of guy I think that you could get something for, which is amazing considering that that was a piece he got in the Thomas Vanek deal uh, way back when, right? Um, but again, like other guys, if, you know, uh, where does it go from there? I don't see him making any big moves until maybe the off season, but pick some prospects. Those are two things we need. I mean, the Canucks right now, they don't have a second or a th- their their own third. They got the Jets third from the Nate Schmidt deal, uh, who, by the way, was 10th in uh, Canucks scoring for the calendar year uh, of 2021. Um, yeah, I mean, you need a second-round pick. If you can figure out ways to get picks or prospects, if you can get a second for Tyler Mott, as much as I love Mott, you got to look at that. Yeah, I mean, one player that Rutherford's traded in the past, actually traded to the Canucks that could be potentially moved is Tanner Pearson. Yep. I don't know with his contract, any teams... I don't. I think that might be a deal where you're just trading his contract away as opposed to getting any real value back. And, you know, is that worth it? Perhaps. I don't know. Um, 
But yeah, I think Tyler Mott's a guy that, you know, probably will end up getting traded. What you get back, I don't know. I mean, Boudreaux hasn't been playing Mott a ton. Um, so, you know, could you get a second round pick back for Mott? Probably not. I do believe Halak has like a limited no trade clause. Isn't there something in Halak's deal where... I, yeah, I think be, he's got a no trade clause or something be, like that. To be fair, he's got a full no move. Um, and also, okay, also with Halak, uh, his contract is because he's in the thirty-five plus deal. It's bonus heavy, so there is thought as well that you know that because the way it's worked is that bonuses would carry over into next year unless the Canucks can create cap room to at least eat some of that. The Canucks cap situation this year is very. Very tricky. I mean, he's still got Furland, Hamannick, Sutter, and Keeper on LTIR as well. Uh, it's 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 tricky. And now you got a couple guys on the taxi squad as well. And uh, I know Ryan Johnson. He received praise as well from Jim Rutherford. He's in charge of the cap. And uh, that guy's got to be a mad scientist juggling all this right now. Yeah, I mean, he's the, still the GM in Abbotsford, being the cap manager consultant for the big club. I mean... Clearly, he's a guy that will one day be a future executive of a hockey club. And the one thing I really like about Rutherford is just how much he loves to, he says he loves to mentor these young executives, right? I think that's great. I mean, I think having a guy that is willing to teach, listen, and learn himself. I mean, Rutherford's in his 70s, and he's still one of those guys that, you know, is trying, wants to learn. He wants to learn the game. And, I think he, you know, I think having that debate, he said one of the things he loves to do is to have a healthy debate, to to debate about things. You know, he might believe something different, but he wants everyone to have a voice and to debate it. And then as a team and as a unit, a management group, they will come to a decision on what the best course of action would be. Um, I think it was uh, Helford was telling a story this morning after the Rutherford interview. I think he said it was the 2015 draft they were there and after the draft was done so everyone had gone they noticed the Pittsburgh Penguins front office were in a heated discussion they were having a heated discussion about something nobody really knew what it was and then speculation eventually came out that they were probably talking about trading for Phil Kessel from Toronto and there was a heated discussion Helford said they were they were having this discussion 45 minutes and like people were getting heated and back and forth and you know it was a marvel to see and then afterwards or shortly thereafter uh pittsburgh made the trade for phil kessel and a lot of people speculated that that's what they were debating at that point on the draft floor you know everyone was pretty much gone except for the pittsburgh management group and they were already looking to the future they had just finished their draft and they were already discussing the next step in their evolution as a team and i think that's something that has sorely been missed in this franchise the canucks franchise for the past eight years and Rutherford has said as well it's more than likely going to be a, a first-time GM coming in which again leads um, more credence to the the rumors you're hearing about uh, Patrick Alvin coming in um, and also his availability is something else that you know this is something that we've said under the Benning era as Benning was not good in front of the mic and he wasn't available and so a lot of the shit fell in the heads of Travis Green right and Green is you know that's yep. uh, that was a lot of extra pressure on Travis Green Rutherford has made himself available and made himself a leader, which is great to see. And he's also said he wants to hire different people from different hockey backgrounds and different hockey minds. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that we're going to have a, a fee, our first female assistant GM in Vancouver, which I know we talked about before as, as well. Um, and 
I think that's a really good thing. The power discussion and listening and mentoring, um, it's it's good. I feel a lot better about the situation. I'm really curious to see how the draft goes because uh, that was one thing I know we've talked about before is regardless of what you say about Benning, I do feel that this was the best era of Canucks drafting that we've seen uh, in, in the, over the course of history. And if you look at, you know, eight-year gaps uh, of of the Canucks and the way they drafted, it is hard to argue that this wasn't the best uh, era for it. So how is that going to translate over? And it's going to be interesting to see that, you know, just moving forward now, there's no Judd Brackett, there's no Jim Benning. What happens with this next uh, wave of drafting? That's uh, that's going to be interesting for me to see as well. Yeah, the other thing Rutherford said is he said they want to add to their pro scouting department, they want to add to their analytics department, and they want to add to their junior scouting department. So that's good. You know, mm-hmm. they're trying to build out the front office and assign roles. And I would imagine because he wants four assistant GMs, each assistant GM is going to be in charge of, okay, you're the assistant GM, you're in charge of pro scouting. You're the assistant GM, you're in charge of amateur scouting. You know, this assistant GM, you're going to be in charge of our analytics department, and you're going to fill out that department as you see fit. And I like that. I like the fact that you've got a big group of people that are planning and focused on what their job is, and then you come together as a collective when the draft comes or you know, a couple of weeks before free agency hits and you're planning your strategy and players you want to target. Yeah, 100%. This is, again, something we've been talking about since this podcast started is how the team needs more voices and uh, more of that uh, outside-the-box thinking and, and creativity and, and a buffer to ownership as well. As And uh, Rutherford wouldn't be here if he wasn't that that buffer. So um, I think I think that's great. Yeah, it was a good, uh, good interview. Um, it was good to hear a lot of those things. It's great to hear... Canuck legend Ryan Johnson getting a lot of of praise in in there as well. Um, Going to be curious to see how things move forward uh, for the Canucks here over the next little while with games. Like, uh, do you think we're going to see games here in Vancouver? Yeah, it's interesting. I know Elliot Friedman put out that tweet that there's talk or, you know, speculation that the Canucks might try to postpone a couple of their next home games so they could have full capacity in the rink again. Um, I guess with the Olympics officially being canceled, now the NHL does have some wiggle room to kind of fit in some games or postpone games. I don't think it makes sense, especially from the team's perspective, right? I mean, I know the Canucks lost last night in the shootout, but this team is playing well and they're gelling. And I, you know, even, you know, that 13 day break that they had after winning, what was it, six in a row? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that could have been detrimental to the focus of this team. And I, I think, you know, you want to keep going. If you're running hot, you want to keep going. You don't want any more de- further delays in your games. Well, what's interesting about the schedule is so the Canucks play tomorrow, New Year's Day, in Seattle against the Kraken. Um, and then they're scheduled right now to have games in the fifth and the eighth at home. Uh, that's against the Islanders and the Senators. But then their next scheduled game after that isn't until the 11th uh, in Florida. So if after Seattle, they do postpone those two home games, we've got another 10-day game gap, ten day gap there uh, in between games. But yeah. you're only losing two games in there, which, of course, you could reschedule. So I think this is a really interesting one. I understand what you're saying. My thought is that they are going to postpone these games. That's just kind of what I think. Because, again, the economics, uh, it's 50% capacity in Rogers Arena right now. And who knows? That could also change again. I know we've seen that change in Ontario. So, for me, I have a feeling those are going to get postponed again. And then we may not be looking at a home 
home game until January 23rd against the Blues. The Canucks have a six-game road trip in there through the States. Uh, a tough road trip. I mean, you got Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Washington, Nashville uh, in there. Oh, sorry, the 21st against the Panthers as well. I thought that was uh, also in uh, in on the road trip. So it's a five-game road trip. But uh, I, after, I think our restrictions go up until January 18th right now. Who knows what the situation of everything is. Um, I think there's a chance these games get postponed, but... Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, also, the team's carrying a taxi squad now that you can have up to six guys on it. They've uh, they've got two players on the taxi squad right now, Spencer Martin and Ashton Sautner. I know Guillaume Breesbaugh is on injured reserve, so maybe he gets shuffled over there as well once he's healthy to play. Um, this is kind of a fun little tidbit. Do you know where uh, the term taxi squad comes from? No, I don't. I'm going to give you a fun little story here. So apparently the first team in North American sports to use a taxi squad was the Cleveland Browns back in the 40s. And they basically had the idea of, like, we want to keep a reserve of players together who aren't on the team, but we can use if, if need be. So the Cleveland Browns started this taxi squad, but instead of paying them under the Cleveland Browns, they uh, paid them through a local taxi company. Uh, and that's where the uh, taxi squad comes from. Sounds like a giant money laundering scam. Oh, it more than likely. It was the 40s Cleveland. I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm <laughs> sure. I guess the owner probably owned that taxi company and did that. And uh, obviously back in that day and age, no one's really looking at the books of all that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to avoid the IRS, at least for a few years. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Doug, any final thoughts on uh, the Canucks right now before going into the free pour? Uh, I I don't want to see any more delayed games. I I, I, I can see both sides of it, but, uh, you know, I want to keep seeing the, this team play and I want to see them progress. I hope, you know, Besser and Di Giuseppe and Dowling, who have recently tested positive, come out of it with no long-term effects. And, yeah, I want to see this train keep on rolling, man. I really do. Yep, I'm, uh, I'm with all that. It would be uh, nice to see uh, some more. I mean, I think the blue line overall for me, uh, this, as shorthanded as it's been, has been good. It was great to see Kyle Burroughs get back into the lineup. I actually thought Poolman had a much better game. He's, I know he's been one of the whipping boys in Vancouver lately, but I thought he had a better game uh, last night. Um, also, you know, a guy we haven't talked about really at all, Quinn Hughes. I think we should get in some thoughts on him before we go to the free pour. Oh, because yeah. one thing I've noticed, and I feel like other people have been noticing it too, we all know that Hughes had a bad year defensively. I don't feel like he's been a defensive liability this year. I feel like he's been uh, a lot more focused in his own end. I think he's been a lot better with the puck and a lot better getting the puck out uh, as well. And, and there was a, a time even last night where he just just whips through everyone, carries it in through center. He's the leading guy on the charge. Like, you know, Tanner Pierce would fall back onto the blue line. But when he gets back into the zone, he's smart with it. He gets the puck down into a safe spot and goes right back to the blue line. And that was something that... I felt last year he would go in there and he would chase the puck, and then all of a sudden he's leaving that blue line exposed. There'd be some maybe some poor communication, and it would result in a two on one or three or two three on two heading back the other way. And where I'm going with this is to that extent is that the Canucks don't seem to be giving up odd man rushes really uh, under this era with this patched up blue line and with Quinton Hughes. And that was a big knock on Quinton Hughes last year was uh, being the guy who would create odd man rushes going against the Canucks. Yeah, I, I agree that he, Hughes definitely seems a lot more focused in his own end. And 
you know, look, a guy of his skill and his caliber, uh, he's going to make mistakes, right? When he's trying to create offensive plays and, you know, he's doing his dangles and whatnot, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to have the puck stripped from him and he's going to, you know, end up in odd man rushes the other way. But I think this year he's looked a lot more focused. He's been a lot more positionally sound and he's kind of taken that extra second before making, you know, an errant pass or deciding to pinch. He's, he's just waiting that extra second kind of to watch the play develop before he just goes on instinct, which I think is good. And I mean, yeah, what else can we say about Quinn Hughes, man? I mean, he's, I know we're talking about JT Miller and Thatcher Demko, but I mean, to me, those three have easily been the best Canucks at each position, right? Your best forward has been JT Miller. Your best defenseman by far has been Quinn Hughes. And obviously Demko has been surreal this year. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, random thoughts here, Doug. Uh, before we go into the free pour, I've just got Twitter open here. Apparently, Betty White just passed away at 99. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, so close to 100, apparently, as well. Just wanted to get that in. R.I.P. Betty White as well. Um, Doug, let's uh, take this into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about something, and Pete, you just mentioned at the end of the last segment about Betty White, another person that the sports world lost, not that Betty White was a sports person, but is John Madden. And just the effect John Madden had on growing the NFL, uh, teaching the game. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, might scoff at the fact, you know, Madden, the, the, the football game, the EAA sport game. But for a lot of kids, you know, that's how they learned football, right? Was playing those games. And it was one of the more in-depth games for football. I mean, look, I grew up playing Tecmo Bowl as well. And Tecmo Bowl was cool. But it was a very dumbed-down, watered-down version of football plays. And Madden was integral in the development of that game. And he wanted it to be as detailed as possible. I obviously am far too young to remember him as a coach, but I do remember him as a broadcaster, and I do remember his bombastic and articulate way of describing the game, describing the plays as they happened. He often sounded like a fan. I'm a Patriots fan. He called that 2001 Super Bowl when Brady and the Patriots won their first ever Super Bowl. He called a number of big games, and he changed broadcasting a lot. Uh in all sports not just in the nfl john madden an absolute legend he impacted football probably greater than anyone else has in the modern era you will be missed yeah doug i agree with that well said and i'm glad we got to mention madden on this episode um we're recording here new year's eve a rare morning recording for us just with the way everything turned out because uh the canucks schedule confused the heck out of us um Two things with New Year's Eve. I'm not a New Year's Eve person. I'm going to have a probably a pretty chill night tonight, uh, drinking by myself, watching uh, that uh, Beatles documentary on Disney. That sounds like a pretty good night. But I have in the last few years, as cheeseball as it sounds, made New Year's resolutions, and I've uh, I've been pretty good at sticking with them. So what I've been doing, and I've, I've kind of got a head start on it this year, is uh, you know something I always preach is about screen time and how much I'm trying to get rid of it. Yet I bring my screens to bed with me, and I've stopped doing that now. I've stopped. I've had my <laughs> screens not in bed with me, and every night now before I've been going to bed, I've been reading, even just a little bit, um, just a couple pages, even just whatever. 
but I find I've been sleeping better with it too. And so this is my uh, my New Year's resolution is to continue doing that. No screams in bed. Read until my eyes get heavy, and then I, I pass out. And I've been sleeping much better. So just wanted to put that on record and follow up with me down the line, see how that's going. I think we just got the name of the episode. No screens in bed. Ooh, I like it. Either that or a tournament. <laughs> I don't know how to spell that. The Not the actual word, the, the muffled word that I kept saying. I gotcha. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 98, just about in the books. Uh, you know, we did ramble on about a lot of other stuff in there uh, besides the Canucks, but, I mean, geez, uh, that two weeks, a lot happened. You know, we didn't even talk about the NHL and the confusion with quarantine policies. I don't really want to get into all that because it's confusing as well. But, you know, the juniors, the Olympics, Canucks, everything else, it's, uh, again, a crazy time in the world sports. I love how we always say to ourselves before we start recording, hey, you know, we can make this a bit of a shorter episode, yeah. right? There's not a ton to talk about outside, you know, as far as the Canucks goes. And yet here we are hitting our standard, you know, 69, hour 10, minutes. hour 15 yeah. minute. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm with Every yeah. time. I was surprised when I looked at that when we were like, talking about the Olympics. I'm like, holy crap, we've already talked for like a half an hour. We got to start getting into some Canucks stuff here. Otherwise, people are going to start dropping off like flies. Um but yeah, man, it's uh, it's good to have some games back uh, for what they are, um, and uh, hopefully, I really do feel that down the road here, 2022 is going to be a much better year than 2021. Yeah, let's hope so. Like I said, it, it can't be much worse than the last couple of years. That's for sure. Stop. I hear you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. And do check out our ever-growing Spotify playlist, the Canucks Speak Easy outro playlist. We add all the tracks under there. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.